0: Interlibrary Loan, Candide or Optimism by Voltaire.
1: Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Interlibrary Loan. This is the show where a group of friends get together, read a book that is worth discussing, and then discuss it a little bit by a little bit. We are currently in our second of three sections on Voltaire's classic satire, Candide or Optimism. Um, so we'll jump right in. As always, I'm Katie.
2: I'm Skye. And I'm Lauren. And maybe this time we'll find out which it really is, Candide or Optimism.
1: <laughs> which is it? <laughs> uh, but so, yeah, um, last we left off, uh, Candide and his Lady Cunegonde and a certain old woman were on a boat. I'm on a boat.
2: Uh, oh man i just thought about that for the first time the other day in like (laughs) years do you remember when that was a thing i guess it still is a thing
1: i mean i was gonna say that is still a thing because i watch it anytime i want to laugh uh but yeah they were on a boat and sailing to a new world as candide himself said it or to another world where he hoped that things would be as as maître panglos always says uh the best of, of all possible worlds and, and so we had this old woman who uh, last time revealed that she she was working for Cunigonde, Uh and she was getting ready to tell her tale. And so here is where we begin. And what a tale it is. We find out what? why she has only one buttock. Indeed. These stories, like, I mean we, we, we get information about, about our characters, but it's also like, we were talking last time about candide having the kind of flavor of a fairy tale uh and like an adventure and so this totally fits right in with that i think like these asides of the story of this old woman but it also serves um voltaire's greater purpose of course which is to like dismantle this absurd optimism
3: yeah it kind of has that um feel of jacques the fatalist with tales within tales where you keep going on and you hear like these, everyone tells their backstory and to get you caught up on to where you are at the present in their journey.
2: And the old woman's yeah. story is a kind of, you know, sm- like smaller version of uh, Candide and Cunegon's story. Um, you know, she also is uh, born of high status, the daughter of Pope Urban the tenth and the princess of Palestrina. Um, Which,
1: scandal. <laughs>
2: Right. Oh, well, the 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 end note for this. Uh, for that says that like Pope Urban the tenth was not a real pope. But in the original manuscript, um, Voltaire has a note that he puts in a note of his own that says, L- "Here, look how censorious I'm being. Look at how you know polite I am being by naming yeah. a not real pope because I would never say that a real pope had had illegitimate children." And it's kind of a shame that he took that out because it's pretty funny.
1: That's totally exactly what he's saying, too. Like, oh, I would never uh, s- s- say something as scandalous as to name an actual pope. <laughs>
2: um, and, you know, yeah. like Candide and Kunigan she, it, her, you know... Uh, her you know royal family is is killed and she's you know raped and disemboweled and left for dead and then healed and then sold into slavery and then travels the world and then blah blah blah
1: and and loses one buttock to the meal of
3: uh who 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 eats the buttocks i remember that it's an imam who suggests that they yeah. they yeah. eat so, them rather than you know so the,
2: Turkish Janissaries who were Christians who were captured and enslaved and made into super soldiers by the, yeah, by yeah. the Ottomans uh, they're the people who eat the buttocks apparently this eating of buttocks is a thing that Voltaire read about in a history of the Scottish Celts um, but is not something that like Turks would have done I, it it's very silly yeah. Um, and also, like, the Scottish Celts may or may not have actually eaten buttocks. Like, that is, that seems like an unlikely story to me.
1: But certainly one that that, that Voltaire would have loved and uh, made use
2: of. Um, so basically, like, the old woman is a topper. She's like, oh, you guys think you had it hard? Yeah, I went through all the same stuff you did. Also, I lost a buttock. You guys still yeah. have your buttocks.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then she also says something very wise. So at the end of her story, she says, um, yeah, in short, mademoiselle, I have lived and I know the world. Why not amuse yourself and invite each passenger to tell his story? If you find a single one of them who has not repeatedly cursed his existence, who has not repeatedly told himself that he is the unhappiest man alive, then you may throw me into the sea head first. And um, I mean, you know, like I was saying, this this story serves a, a couple of purposes, one of them to being to put more cracks in in Pangloss's theory.
3: I think it's also kind of to teach Cunegonde a, a degree of humility that that the rest of the world suffers to and she's not the only one to have encountered
2: misfortune. Yeah. And this um, this sort of test that she gives them where she says, oh, if you can find anyone who doesn't curse his misfortune, you can throw me off of the ship. It's funny because the narrator treats that as if then, like, Candide and Kunigan take that seriously. And then they do it and they're like, huh, I guess she was right. Well, I guess we won't throw her off the ship. Uh, as, <laughs> if they, as, if, as if they would have if she had, you know, if, if they had found someone who, who had, did not have a sad story. But at the end mm-hmm. of this section, Candide does this again, sort of on his own volition. Um, you know, he's returning to Europe at the end of the section. This is a really good um, way that we've broken this up. And I think this is like intentional on Voltaire's part. This book has sort of a three act structure and each of the 30 chapters, you know, each 10 chapter section is sort of like one part. And this part is the part in the new world. Uh, so at the end of this section, Candide's returning to the new world and he does the same thing. He says, listen, I'll pay passage back to Europe for anyone who has the sad- for like the person who has the saddest story. And he listens to like 20 people's sad stories and then he picks the one who has the saddest story. And yeah. uh, and pays his passage back.
1: Yeah, that's 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 a good system, I think. <laughs> um, but in addition to this, so so there at the beginning of this section with with this sad storytelling, uh, Candide like says that he 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 wishes if only Pangloss were here because he would he would listen uh, to to his his teacher like no doubt would still profess his idea uh, of optimism but candide now feels that he would make a few interjections and and protests of his own (laughs) because he's he's a little wiser he's been in the world now
2: yeah i by the end of this section candide is uh like i think thoroughly disenchanted with uh with the teachings of uh professor pangloss yeah 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 um, it there's this great part where uh, the old woman says that you know every ti- like every time I've been met with misery, I've thought of like killing myself, but I never have because I love living too much even though the world is horrible and I've seen many people who have had misery and misfortune but only uh, a dozen who have uh, voluntarily put an end to their misery and then she like lists off who they were. Uh, including like I guess uh, some guy who had written a treatise at the time about suicide, um, but it's an interesting point. It's like people who are miserable still love their still love life as do we all.
3: I think though if you'd read the if you read the the end note on that section, I, Voltaire could be making fun of the fact that she's talking about this like in this way, saying that life is still worth living when you're completely miserable because Voltaire wasn't theoretically opposed to suicide as a concept and kind of dabbled with it as a you know as a philosophical notion and I think he was opposed to the idea that it is just kind of a um a pure evil
2: deed. Yeah, well, I mean Voltaire unlike the most of the like the, like for instance unlike the Catholic Church didn't believe that suicide was like sinful or like wrong, but I think he is pointing out that like most Miserable people don't end up committing suicide, no matter how miserable they get, because people tend to, uh, you know, prefer life to death. Um, but I don't know. I I'm not sure. Do you think he? Do you think he's like arguing in favor of suicide here? I don't
3: know if he's arguing in favor. I think he might say that. The reason fewer people commit suicide is because of the kind of religious and ideological control that's placed on them by the church. That if they commit suicide, then shame is brought upon them and their families, and they're sent to hell, and et cetera, et cetera.
2: Mm.
3: Well, and I
1: think that in 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 either case, Voltaire would criticize like the reductionism of mm-hmm. of a of a statement on like he's advocate like this book advocates for thing things are very complex, and you cannot boil. Uh, things down to ridiculous statements like, you know, uh, our our noses were made to wear spectacles, and so we were, we wear spectacles.
3: Or life is is valuable and worth living, just as right. It is. Right, right. Um, you know, life life is complex,
1: and um, and uh, a lot of a lot of philosophies uh, tend to boil things down. Uh, or at least the, the what 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 he's criticizing is boiling uh, the entirety of life down to such a simple philosophy is just reductionist and 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 not not adequate at all to and the way that things side, actually are. Yeah. yeah. He makes fun of Spanish names. <laughs> <laughs> that uh that string of names for
3: the governor is pretty great.
1: Yeah. So yeah, we've we had we had some great fun with uh, play on the German language, and we have some great fun with play on uh, the Spanish language, or, or at least uh, naming conventions.
3: Don Fernando de Barra y Figueroa y Mascarenes y Lamped y Souza. Yeah,
1: yeah, and then he repeats <laughs> this name, which I I I just I just love all that
3: is he is he also kind of mocking um the tradition of biblical lineage that has you know son of yeah son of begat x you know this of person x, who of begat this person right
1: so candide now has he's he's parted with cunegonde and now uh has this uh valet companion of his we meet we meet his valet the dear Cacambo, whose name is ridiculous
3: Cacambo is great
1: yeah. We talked about before that the philosophers in this book are, are not the ones philosophizing necessarily. It's uh, the characters who are called naive or called simple, who often make like the most important and poignant
3: remarks. Absolutely. And I think that it's interesting that, that Volterra kind of draws this comparison between Candide and, and Cacambo, Like Candide he, ta- he talks about in the beginning of the book how he has like all of these you can you can trace his genealogy across you know like what was it 71 quarterings orderings exactly mm-hmm, yeah. and then Cacambo is like is this he's a quarter spanish and the son of a half breed from from the two kuman so he's you know he has no lineage to speak of yet he has much more sense than Candide and proves so on several occasions.
2: Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's a, like, Cacambo is kind of like a stock character. Like we see this with Pancho Sanza in Don Quixote and a lot of other sort of like adventure narratives from the early modern period where, you know, he's this like humble servant who is, you know, wise and and generous and loyal. Um but he's used to great effect throughout this period where and the, the um, editor makes a great sense of this in the notes of the translator uh, that you know he has this kind of like magical language ability to just talk to anybody in the new world uh, regardless of uh, you know linguistic barriers. And that's uh, very helpful in this section
1: yeah yeah something about it says that he's he's able to speak uh oh oh no he says he says he can speak Peruvian that's what it is which mm-hmm. of course as we know Peruvian is not a language mm-hmm. um and so Voltaire may have been referring to like the the Incan language who knows but um but that's and that's uh pulls out too uh we should note that like Candide doesn't have any difficulty conversing with people. He's so he's German, right? But he can speak to the Dutch man that right. he meets, mm-hmm. and um, uh, in Portugal, um, he has no issue speaking with like people of of like higher nobility. But uh, once they arrive at um at El Dorado, and um, he relies on Cacambo to be able to to translate for him.
2: Um, so he so Candide tries to get work with the Jesuit army. Yeah. Uh, which technically the Jesuits were not supposed to have an army, but Voltaire is uh, pointing out that they do. Um, and, uh, you know, Cacambo says, hey, you know, you, you know the Bulgar drill. Uh, you know, they're going to make you uh, an officer in their army and uh, that'll be great. They get there, and uh, he finds that the officer priest in charge is none other than the Baron, Brother of Cunigand.
1: How fortuitous.
3: Surprise uh, of surprises. Coincidence after coincidence. Yeah, so there's yeah. this
2: great moment where, where they, you know, marvel at, at how they got this way, and then they tell their tale, and then almost immediately, things go south, when Candide mentions that he intends to marry Cunigald, uh, the Baron yeah. is offended because Candide has only 71 and not 72 quarterings. And uh, Candide stabs him in the belly uh, in self-defense and has now killed right. three men, two of them priests.
1: Our sweet, gentle-natured Candide, who is so named for his sweet and gentle nature and openness of mind, has now
2: killed three men. Uh, So Candide's freaking out because he just killed this guy and Kakambos is like, no, 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 we're gonna get you out of here. And he dresses him in the Jesuit priest's uh, uniform and they flee on horseback. Uh, And now Candide is dressed as a Jesuit priest commander general guy uh and they
3: and then they encounter two girls who are apparently being followed by apes
2: yo this passage guys (laughs) let's talk about this passage for a while
1: isn't it weird
2: it's very racist yeah Uh, this section is weird because it takes place entirely in the new world uh a place where voltaire never visited and so, Voltaire's writings of the New World are all from second and third-hand accounts, and they're very much of their time.
1: hmm Right, and there's 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 a reference to uh, when it was when they were talking about the um about about the eating of the buttocks, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a reference to um. Uh, what you know, one of one of Michel de Montaigne's letters on cannibalism, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, absolutely. Uh, Voltaire knows nothing of, of of the new world by first hand account. What he knows is what what, what he's read.
3: Right. And he kind of draws a similar parallel that Montaigne does in, in ex- excusing cannibalism as a practice, saying that it's that r- what really is at, f- at fault is killing people. It's not what you do with their bodies afterwards. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it's interesting, this whole passage beforehand, where before they, you know, before they encounter the cannibals, when they're when um, they encounter these two women being chased down by apes and. Uh, and I don't remember if it's Kakumbo or Candide who speculates that they were part human, the the apes. And um, I suppose we're kind of in this era of kind of scientific um, speculation about the nature of of human beings and animals and kind of the, I mean, this is pre-Darwin, right? So people are imagining that, you know, apes and humans could... could Mate to create these kind of like half creatures, and that these could have created, you know, mythological creatures, but definitely feels pretty racist. Mm-hmm.
2: I, I would also like to point out that technically apes do not live in the New World. Right. Apes are a an exclusively Old World family of animals. There are monkeys yes. in the New World, but no apes. So this isn't even like geographically accurate. I mean, it's it's like. Yeah, it just, it definitely hasn't aged well, and also, there's a section, there's a part towards the end of this section, they're in El Dorado, and Candide says, like, oh yeah, Pangloss thought it was great in Westphalia, but he didn't know how great it was here. I guess in order to, like, understand the world, you have to, like, travel around in it, which is pretty rich for Voltaire to say, seeing how bad he's donking up his descriptions of uh, the new world in this novel.
3: And describing llamas as sheep,
2: as sheep, yeah, the red I, sheep. That was very funny. I mean, mm-hmm. that's I, not a terrible. Co- that's a much better comparison than like talking about apes as like part human. You but know? Can you yeah. imagine
3: French readers at the time or European readers at the time like they're thinking of like sheep laden down with gold and jewels? And I mean, know. I
2: think that's supposed to be a, a funny picture. But like honestly, a llama laden down with gold and jewels would also be pretty funny.
1: I mean, llamas are funny regardless. Yeah, yeah. llamas are just but, a
2: funny animal. They're funnier than yeah. sheep are, although sheep are also pretty funny.
3: Throughout this entire passage, I just kept having, like, a- alternating flashes to either the Emperor's New Groove or that really awful uh, El Dorado movie from the, was it 2000s or 90s? And so it was like, oh, I'm that's getting like these... like early 2000s yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, jam. Yeah, I'm getting El these, Dorado, like, El oh, Dorado! Oh, my goodness, yeah. El Dorado! El <laughs> Dorado! Thanks Thank for the you mute, for that. Like break. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna drop that in. El Dorado,
1: El Dorado, El Dorado. <laughs> we oh, We're
2: yeah, get no. Sued
3: for copyright, like. Uh, we...
2: Oh, what is Shit. like Kenneth Branagh gonna come after us <laughs> <laughs> for using his likeness? Um, yeah, I mean. Uh, that... I think that was Elton John who did the, to the, the... No, 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 Kenneth Branagh was the voice of one of those dudes, though. Oh, right, but, but
3: Elton John definitely did all the music. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Sorry, Sir Elton John.
1: But so uh, so we, we, we have this racist episode with, with with the ladies and the apes, and then immediately after, um, our friends run into this Orion tribe, uh, so named because of, like, the, the ear... Ornaments, mm-hmm. um, but uh, For but there's there's this
3: or like earrings,
1: yeah. Um, so they, of course, see Candide and his getup that Cacambo has placed him in, and believe that he's a Jesuit. But then Cacambo reasons with them, um, and and says, "Oh no, no, go go and ask the guards, uh, and they'll tell you that he he's wearing uh." he's wearing the um the the clothes of this officer and in the, in the
3: meantime he kind of manages to, to 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 get them to forget that the reason why they captured him and captured them and wanted to kill them in the first place is because they would killed the you know the lovers of these two girls not because they were jesuits right
1: exactly um, and sure enough, the, uh, the Orion, uh, the, it's directly from the text, it says, The Orion found this speech entirely reasonable. They dispatched two of their chiefs post-haste to find out the truth. The two delegates carried out their commission like men of sense and returned shortly bearing the good news. And so they let the prisoners go. And 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 Candide now, um, like takes this as more proof that the the new world is truly the best the the best of, of, of possible worlds because these people are so reasonable. And then also like this is a little bit like uh, kind of like reactionary of him because, you know, had he not had the good fortune of killing Cunigon's brother and wearing this the, the, the Jesuit robes, perhaps they would have been uh, cooked and eaten after all.
2: Yeah, I mean Voltaire throughout this section is really using the this- trope of the noble savage and we can talk about like how ironically he's using it i mean it seems like a lot of times it's pretty since it's pretty unironic um but you know this is one of these i think we're supposed to compare this to the scenes earlier with the inquisition where they were interested in you know executing people uh regardless of like evidence or trial and here by like kind of circuitous reasoning kakambo is able to convince them to like let them go
3: but i think again yeah. this like this this points more evidence to his being influenced by montaigne's essay on cannibalism which is like does show a lot of traits of you know talking about the noble savage and this idea that you know the that the new world holds populations that are less corrupt than the than europeans
2: yeah i mean ultimately in this section voltaire's point is that like the new world kind of is better than the old world and the only reason that Candide leaves is because, base- is because one, he's bored, and two, he's like, man, if I stay in this cool place in the old world, I'm just going to be some dude. But if I take this cool shit back to the new world... or Wait, no, reverse that. If I yeah. stay in this place in the new world, I'm just going to be some dude. If I take this cool shit back to the old world, I'll be a king.
3: And he wants to see Kunigong again.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I guess there's that too.
1: <laughs> well, he'll be a king and then uh, be able to, like... Buy Cunegonde off of the, uh, the Don Fernando whatever seventeen names. <laughs>
2: Good old Don Seventeen names.
1: Uh. So I mean, so, essentially,
2: essentially, this is the this is the uh, central conflict of the plot of that El Dorado movie with Elton John and Kenneth Branagh. It's an entire city of suckers. <laughs> we just have to keep this up
1: long enough. Load up on the gold and
0: then get the hell out of here.
1: I mean, really, it is, isn't it? <laughs> um,
2: oh my god, so many my, drops from my, that movie. Minus in
3: this the like creepy priest guy who has like the leopard thing that he controls with like his spirit voodoo shit.
2: Oh, is that the bad guy? Yeah. yeah. Visit your wrath upon this non-believer. Show us the truth of your divinity. Yeah, I guess there isn't there's any no bad out. guy.
3: It's all happy, fun times with lots of hummingbird down and...
2: Yeah, uh, the, the feast that they get, the description of the feast that they get when they first come to El Dorado is like... All the birds of paradise. There's 600 and- hummingbirds and uh, all sorts of improbable animals to eat. And like, what, what bird that
1: weighs 200 pounds... Oh, condors. Yeah, condors. A condor, I mean, a yeah, condor condors. is a very big
2: bar- bird, but I don't think it weighs 200 pounds.
1: Yeah. Uh, a roast monkey, 600 hummingbirds. And excellent all, roast a, monkey. All kinds of ragu. Mm-hmm.
3: With, uh, with pastries and sauces and... Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I like how Voltaire is essentially describing this meal as if they're, like, all exotic animals, but they're all prepared using, like, French culinary techniques
1: yeah yeah well that's the only way to cook anything yeah <laughs> uh <laughs> but but so yeah they they've they've made it to el dorado and everything is lavish not only this feast but um the you know their surroundings there's children like
3: play with jewels and bits of gold and, and leave yeah them on the ground and
2: yeah the, the plates are the, rock crystal the King of El Dorado is like, yo, I don't get why you Europeans are so crazy about our yellow mud, but like, sure, whatever, take some. It's freaking mud. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have to <laughs> gloat over my gold. Yeah,
1: yeah, go for it. I mean, Candide is fascinated by this place. There, I mean, there's all the people here are just kind of hap- ha- happily living together. No uh, one's in they in yeah, also they're not allowed to, like, pay for this extravagant meal because all the inns established to further the trade of this nation are paid for by the government.
2: I thought that was, in. I mean, that sounded so out of place and, like, modern. It, like, the way- maybe that's just the way it's been translated into English is it just sounds like... Very anachronistic in the context of this novel, and then in the footnote, it actually notes that this is a real phenomena from yeah. pre-Columbia Incan society was that the the sort of Incan regime would set up these inns for travelers in which like pro- provisions were provided by the state, um, which like that sounds it that sounds very sort of like Marxist socialist. It sounds like it, it, a th- the the way it's described seems too modern for this novel to me.
1: He's talking to the king and the king is like, yeah, uh, you're not going to be able to get out of (laughs) here because so El Dorado is like completely isolated from the rest of the world because basically it's surrounded by these mountains and there's not really a great way out.
2: Seriously, is it just like that movie? And our plan uh, calls for a boat because uh, we're going to ascend kind of in a horizontal pattern at
0: first, and then we're going to go vertical uh, as we get uh, further out to sea.
3: Yeah, like they have to, like they have to, like you know, use these kind of damn contraptions to like jettison jettison them all out on the river. I mean, like you really could have cut <laughs> the. Uh, the the scene to some Elton John music and you'd have the have that cartoon <laughs>
2: I wonder, I mean, to the point where I wonder if one of the texts that the writers of that movie were looking at was this section of Candide. Was, was,
1: in, was ma- yeah, I wonder. You know, There
2: are lots of, you know, texts that deal with El Dorado and the myths and legends thereof, but, like, this is probably one of the most famous, so I I wouldn't be surprised if they were, like, partially modeling the the film on this section of Candide.
3: I mean, that movie's pretty horrible, but if they actually used Candide as a source text, it might raise my esteem of the filmmakers just a little bit.
0: Tons of gold for me! (laughs) Tons Tons of of gold gold for
1: we! Ah,
2: Not bad for a day's work, eh? uh, Yeah, so the king says, like, well, you normally couldn't leave, but because you really want to, I'm gonna have my people build you a machine that will let you go over the mountains. Um, Yeah. then you're on your own. And so uh Candide loads up 7 sh- red sheep aka llamas with mm-hmm. it was it 7 how many sheep does he have
1: no they had they had like 20 something
2: really they, oh, had, that's a, they quite had a ridiculous. ridiculous no it was
3: more it was like it was close to 100 cuz he had like all these extra pack animals they they said cuz they said that he had the the two at first and then they added like 20 more and then uh, then it was 50 more um
1: oh that's fun here we go here
3: we go two large red sheep saddled and
1: bridled for them to ride after they had cleared the mountains plus 20 pack sheep laden with provisions 30 more carrying gifts from of the richest native works worksmanship and 50 laden with gold and diamonds and other precious stones right, so it was stones. like over 100 that's a lot of sheep yeah well that's that's a lot of silly red sheep um but yeah so it, like like, like, like you said earlier Lauren like the only reason that he wants to leave is uh to to be reunited with Kunigand and also he's kind of bored in this idyllic land where like there's no prisons because there's no need for them and uh and and there's these like genius engineers who can make this contraption for them to 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 leave but
3: and maybe that kind of pure equality he sees is a little bit boring and like in is not something he really wants he wants to be the king of the castle who gets to order everyone around and you know and be in a position of power in european capitalist society yeah yeah but he can take some of their silly
1: yellow mud with with him and 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 truly be, um, one of these grand kings.
2: We just became richer than the king of Spain.
1: <laughs> in in European society, if,
2: if he can
3: manage to keep his hands on it.
1: Yes, yes. If he can manage to not lose all the sheep.
2: So at this point, uh, Candide and Cacambo. Um, Make a very long trek that is covered very quickly. That goes from uh the Andes all the way up to uh, Suriname in the the you know north section of uh, South America. So they're going all through Brazil and things like that, and they lose all the sheep one by one in different landslides and swamp mishaps and etc. etc. And uh and they say, huh, well this is how uh. This is how fast the riches of the world can can leave you, but they're left with two sheep laden with uh, diamonds and gold.
1: So they still have the riches of, like, 20 uh, kings. Sure, just uh, not
2: the riches of 200 kings.
1: Right, exactly. Sad day. Uh, but so, so ap- after, you know, this slight misfortune they come across this is kind of the same pattern we've seen before they come across someone who's really in a lot worse uh for wear than they are and it's this slave and he's like laying on the ground and is missing a leg and, and a hand and um so candide asks him like what what are you doing here and 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 how did you come to be in such a state and basically this man works at the at the sugar mills and um, so trying to flee gets gets you gets your hand cut off and um, trying to run away gets your leg cut off or no well, I'm sorry trying to or stealing
2: no, no no he says when you get your finger caught when you in, get the, your finger in caught, the machine yeah. then they cut your hand off
1: Yeah 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 and then trying to run away they uh, they cut off your leg
3: And he befell both of these misfortunes
1: Yes um and so then he he he's one of these characters who like makes one of the most poignant statements
2: you know they he talks about uh the amputation of his hand and leg as the price we pay for the sugar you eat in europe yeah yeah, yeah. uh which uh, you know the the note no, uh points out that like voltaire was a vociferous sugar eater um, but had read about this kind of uh, mistreatment of slaves uh, and the sort of brutality of uh, the sugar industry in the New World. And I guess was adding this in as like a message to his readers. I don't know.
1: Oh, but additionally, you know what he says. Uh, so he's talking about these, the, the Dutch who he works for um, and they're con- uh, converting the slaves to, to their religion. Um, And he says, uh, uh, tell me every Sunday that we are all children of Adam, whites and blacks alike. I am no genealogist, but if these preachers are telling the truth, then we are all second cousins, in which case you must admit that no one can treat
2: his relatives more horribly than this. And then they're like, oh man, well, I guess optimism is not a thing after all. And then they just like move on and leave him there. Like they don't like, that doesn't like conclude in any way. But I mean, that's par for the course. (laughs) Yeah, it it's definitely well and this is something that Candide uh, that Voltaire does again and again throughout Candide where like Candide sees people uh, in pain and like most of the time just like moves on. Yeah. You know? And and like notes the horror. I think that's a thing that that you know we in the in the developed world like we of privilege in the world do often is that we see and note the like injustices in the world and then we don't fix them you know because uh, it's it's easy to see them and be affected by them but it's it you know it, it and
3: write about them and critique them yeah but
2: it's difficult and it's risky and it's uh time consuming to fix these things and to help people
1: mm-hmm. uh but so so now is the time where um where candide is trying to find find his find a boat so that he can sail back to his beloved Cunegonde,
0: Who, to build a boat large and glorious enough, would take about a week. A week. Um.
1: And um, this Dutch merchant that he runs into, like, plays him for a fool, and takes like basically takes all his money
3: he keeps upping the ante to test him and and candide is foolish and doesn't realize he's being played
2: right so then they he loads all the sheep and their jewels into the boats and then leaves without candide leaving candide only the still small fortune that he has in his pockets
1: and and additionally like candide uh runs to the magistrate and annoys
3: the magistrate and gets himself in trouble Finds him. The magistrate finds him just for for bothering him. Yeah, this this yeah. Ju- this
2: magistrate is like the judge in uh, in my cousin Vinny where he just keeps like <laughs> finding uh, finding Candide over and over again for contempt of court.
0: I don't like your attitude. What else is no... I'm holding you in contempt of court.
2: The um, I mean, this part is great because this is like pretty much the only time that we see Candide get like real riled up, and it's for like the most um, it's for sort of the most trivial reason, right? His he's been robbed. Now he was robbed before, but that wasn't his money. That was like Kunigan's money.
0: Hey, little hey, Yankee wuss! Look here, yeah. <laughs> I got you two hundred
3: dollars. But it, but he's falling into all this trouble because he doesn't have anyone else looking out for him. He's on his own right now, and so his his naivete is.
2: But he's the, the better, also, like, best of him he's also like not really in trouble compared to situations that he's been in earlier in the book right like he still has a small fortune in gold and stuff in his pockets and yeah uh, and,
1: it, and it's it's not as though his life is at stake exactly
2: or anything. so it's it's uh, you know Voltaire's pointing out that like People get upset when they're robbed more than, you when know, they're than tricked. anything else. Yeah, when they're tricked. And he gets so mad at this guy, and he keeps like saying, like, oh man, I'm so mad at that captain. Like He's the worst. Uh, but you know, people have performed greater injustices than the captain on him, and, uh, and he hasn't been so mad at them. So
0: it's either wear the leather jacket, which I know you hate, or this. So I wore this. Ridiculous thing for you.
1: Yeah, and he says, and he even says so. So he he's in this idyllic new world, right? That he that he, uh, at least up until this point, had thought surely this is the best of all worlds that uh, Metro Pangloss had been talking about. But then he says, "Alas, now here is a trick worthy of the old world," uh, because he's been bamboozled and robbed.
3: But he was was bamboozled and robbed by a European, I believe.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. Um. So he says, so he says, uh, okay, um, I can't go back to Buenos Aires because they're going to like, I, you know, I'm a wanted man. But uh, Kakambo, you can go back to Buenos Aires. So like, here, take all these golden jewels and go to Buenos Aires and, you know, like buy Kunigand and bring her to Venice. Uh, Where and they
3: value free, free
2: thought. <laughs> free thought. Yeah. But surely things are cool in Venice. And uh, I'll go to Venice too. And we'll all meet up in Venice. That'll work, right? That'll totally work. He also
1: so he he does he does the thing of asking people for their saddest story to figure out who he's gonna take with him. He says uh that Panglos would be hard pressed to prove his system now and um still maintains that you know El Dorado is pretty great though. Like even so if there is uh like a place where all is well, it would be El Dorado. But I haven't found it anywhere else yet.
2: El Dorado El Dorado (laughs) Uh, okay Um, so we get to meet Martin, the old scholar At sea Uh, and it's a long Sea voyage where they talk A lot about boring things
1: And Martin says Something very interesting about his View of the world
3: Candide suspects him of being a Uh, so Sinian, uh Mm -hmm. But um, but Martin corrects him and says that he is a... Um, He's a Manichaean. A Manichaean, yes. Yes,
2: which uh, Candide sort of rightfully goes like, uh, you're making fun of me because there are no more Manichaeans. Manichaeans are a religious sect, a sort of like Christian religious sect that goes back to like the time of Jesus, basically. Um, it's a very, very old uh you know sort of religious offshoot of christianity that at this point would have been sort of like long dead but it was sort of it seems like it was sort of in vogue among like intellectuals in this period as at least something to like read about
3: right and um and the note discussed this as a philosophy that kind of um at the expense of god's omnipotence it remove some of his culpability in the horrors of the world um, because those aren't actually God's deeds those are the devil's deeds
2: right so the so Manichaeism is a dualist sect in which there's like good and evil and like so God doesn't get to like control the evil parts he's only the good guy there's
3: basically a good God and a bad God
2: yeah essentially um,
3: which which honestly is kind of harks to the to a lot of fundamentalist interpretations of christianity and kind of even the way evangelicals see see the christian world in this idea that, that there's
1: like there's a benevolent god but there's also like a, a, like the devil the who's mucking feared. it all up
3: right exactly so he's, so he's traveling back to um across the Atlantic with Martin, and um and they're talking about Martin's heretical philosophy, and um what do they find but the ship that had been stolen from Candide back in the New World,
2: and what's on the ship but a sheep.
3: A single silly
1: red sheep.
2: Yes, which I, uh, it, it it's not made very explicit here, but I think by the time Candide recovers the sheep, it no longer has any diamonds or gold on it.
3: Is this sheep supposed to be alive still after it's been like after the ship has been sunk?
2: Yeah, it like swims to the other ship, <laughs> and then and and, and so at the absurd. end of I mean this section ends with Candide like petting the sheep fondly as it represents like recovery of some of his riches.
1: No, but he had... Um, yeah, the sheep had some
2: had some of the riches. Oh, the sheep had the riches. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's, that's this, even this better. Sh-
1: mm-hmm.
2: Okay. So, yeah, the the ship that had stolen uh, Candide's riches gets into a fight with another ship, and both ships sink, and uh, everyone dies, and Candide says, like, ha, see, that guy got his because he stole all my riches, and Martin points out, yeah. What about all those other people that were on those ships? What did no, they die no, no, for? No, no,
3: Candide points that out, and Martin says that you know God punished the thief, but the the devil drowned the the rest.
2: Ah, yeah. Um.
3: But but I but you know at at the end, Candide is petting his sheep, and and this gives him hope that since he he found what was you know lost before, he may still find uh mademoiselle Cunegonde. in the end
1: and
2: this is this recurring thing whenever things are going pretty good for candide he's inclined to go hey man this is the best of all possible worlds i'm doing okay
1: yeah yeah so like so so far he's he's of two minds and as you say when when things are going well he says maybe, maybe Pangloss wasn't all wrong uh but then something horrible happens and he says, you know what? I've seen some of the world and I really don't think Pangloss is right.
2: Well, I cannot wait to see the further adventures of Candide's sheep.
1: Indeed. I think, uh, I think we are all rooting for that one silly red sheep.
2: I think in Lars, the Swedes adaptation of Candide, the sheep is like kind of the, the sort of audience surrogate and like, The sheep is, like, a comic relief character that just sort of, like, is chewing on some grass and bawling at humorous points in the background. But then, like, at one point in, maybe at this point in the film, it, like, cuts to the sheep and the sheep just, like, winks at the camera. Um,
3: That's some Emperor's New Groove shit. That's, like, when the when the uh like when the emperor as a llama is in- encountering like a llama who's just kind of like chewing his oh yeah yeah
1: my face good my beautiful beautiful face okay I'm okay, okay,
0: okay. Well, llama. okay uh, llama face. sorry that was from the wrong movie let's try this again
1: No, but uh, but perhaps the 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 single sheep also like has a moment where he looks straight at the camera and then like s- says says something wise in a comically deep voice.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you get like Keith David or someone to be the voice of the sheep. It is the nature of humankind to
0: fear what they do not understand. Their ways are not our ways.
1: Yeah.
2: All right. Lars the Swede's new move—he is a fably animated film that is an adaptation of Candide. Eldorado Eldorado El Dorado. El Dorado. El Dorado. El Dorado, El Dorado. El Dorado. El Dorado. <laughs> All right. Um. Quotes of the week. Notable quotables. Quotient quotables. Chopin Goatables. It's a joke from the Flophouse <laughs> podcast. They just talk about nonsense words.
3: Yeah. So I uh, I like this description of the spanish governor with 50 names uh we keep
2: increasing the number of names we're giving him he used to be mr 17 name now now he's he's got 50 names
3: all right well in any case Voltaire describes him as he spoke to everyone with the most aristocratic disdain pointed his nose so loftily projected his voice so raspingly adopted so superior a tone and affected so haughty a gait that all who met him were sorely tempted to thrash him
1: oh yeah that was pretty great that's a that's a great Voltaireism. i think we've all met someone like that (laughs) mine is uh it's just one of the many times that candide denounces Pangloss's theory and it's right after they're talking to the 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 one-legged and one-handed slave and candide i just like the way that it's phrased because it's it's so dramatic and great but so candide says Oh Pangloss cried Candide This is one abomination you could not Have anticipated and I fear it has Finally done for me I am giving Up on your optimism after all And What is optimism asked Cacambo. Alas said Candide It is the mania for insisting that all is Well when all is by no means well um, And yeah you know Like, like we said Candide is going to Change his mind as soon as he sees uh, Something going for the better, at least for now.
2: Yeah, uh, that's the only, the notes point out that this is the only part in the text that actually uses the word optimism. Yeah. My favorite part of this section um, comes when they first arrive at El Dorado and they notice the children playing with globes of precious stones and they're surrounded with gold and then they're treated to that incredible dinner with all of the 200 pound condors and the 600 hummingbirds and etc. And they try to pay at the end, and the, the sort of, uh, they call him like the schoolmaster, um, he says, Gentlemen, I plainly perceive that you are foreigners. We are not accustomed to seeing your like. Forgive us for laughing when you offered as payment the pebbles of our off of our roadside. To be sure, you probably don't have any of our currency, but you do not need money to dine here. All the inns established to further the trade of this nation are paid for by the government. And then he says, and I think this is the best. You have eaten indifferently here, for this is a poor village. But everywhere else, you will be received as you deserve to be. So basically, guys, after after we're treated to this, you know, description of incredible opulence and excess he says well this is just a poor village like we apologize for how meager this is but hey uh we're gonna send you to the capital where you'll be treated like like the foreigners you deserve you know like like you deserve yeah. to be. it's very fun
1: oh el dorado you and your ridiculous extravagance
2: i wish i could remember more about that movie other than that stupid song there's also a scene where it looks like the lady is giving the dude a blow job which I made it out of this podcast is not exactly PG. Not exactly. I
3: mean, <laughs> is this podcast PG? Not
2: really, but we try not to be too crass.
3: Yeah, we, we, we tend to try to be I mean, somewhat polite. Voltaire describes a, a guy rubbing up against the old woman and crying out that, uh, oh, that he if only ha- I had head balls. balls.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. It's a good moment.
3: That's the moment we forgot to talk about, which uh, yeah, Lauren,
2: I, talk about the translation issue oh, yeah, in so, that section. So I
3: started to read this for the, these chapters in French, and um, and I like I stopped because I ran out of time. Um, but um, the in the French edition of this, it cuts off the Italian. Um, with the, just the first letter C and then, like, a dash, a long dash. And then on the note, when it's translated into French, it's the same thing, and it's a C with a dash, which is going to be the word qui, but, like, for balls. But but they he doesn't actually spell it out. Um, so I was wondering if that's, like... Voltaire censoring himself again or is that the I I can't imagine that it would be the French editor censoring Voltaire that doesn't really make much sense but um but it was interesting that the translator decided to use the like the entire word rather than like doing the like Voltairean self-censorship.
2: Well and then so I had asked you about this because like balls while sort of like crude is not a particularly Vulgar term in English, whereas I so I'd ask you like that word in French may be a little bit more vulgar.
3: Yeah, I'm not always a great judge of how vulgar curse words are in French. I think this is like a symptom mm-hmm. of if you've ever like listened to someone who speaks English like as a second language, they are tempted to use like all of the curse words that you're like um that's maybe not the most appropriate thing. It's it's hard right, to judge I, the like shock value. It, it's
2: not inappropriate to them. It's not the language that they grew up with.
3: Right. I. But I want to say that Cui is a little bit stronger than balls. Yeah,
1: yeah I think so. Uh, so I just looked in my edition in my French edition and it's the same it cuts off. Oh okay. Cool. I bet that's um, and, and then himself. just just the note says um that the, the man that says this sentence is uh,
2: is a, a eunuch. Yeah. Right. And so I guess from that context the French reader is supposed to understand what's going on. Yeah. Um, yeah, That. so this would suggest to me that, that the censorship is on Voltaire's part
3: Well, and it, it does, like, the, needing the clarification that this guy is a eunuch is actually necessary Because that C cutoff could have been other have, vulgar right, front yeah, it, could it could have been, been the word for, like, Q, like, yeah. ass So, like, mm-hmm. you actually do need the clarification there
2: and I mean, we already have a character in this book with only one buttocks. Right, so we got, and it we stands get, to reason that there might be a character with no buttocks.
3: Right, and we had that reference already, so maybe this is like, you know... A theme. Right. Voltaire's just
2: it's really clarification. Into, to people who have gotten their butts cut off. Yeah. But no.
3: <laughs> Alas, it's not. It's a eunuch.
2: But,
1: yeah, no, this man is missing his balls.
2: And on that wonderful and professional <laughs> note, we say goodbye to you, dear reader, for yet another week. <laughs> I do hope you'll return with us for the third and final installment of our discussion of Voltaire's Candide.
1: For a moment, all I could think of was, I'm Mortimer Young.
2: (laughs) Wait, who's Mortimer Young?
1: Oh my goodness, are you not as familiar with The Big Lebowski as a lot of
2: other people that I know are? That would be correct. I've, I've seen okay. The Big Lebowski like five times in different installments, but I don't think I've ever just sat down and watched it all the way through. Yeah, have
3: you watched like oh, the first man. half several times and then you've watched like the second half, but you've never like watched.
2: I've never just watched the whole movie. It's one of those movies that I've like, I've seen every part of the movie, but like I've never just watched the whole thing. So
1: the introduction of it is like... Oh, with the this cowboy guy no 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 before the cowboy guy This oh, is the, okay. the introduction introduction and this guy named mortimer young is like a a, a like a, a film preservation historian and he's talking about like the restor- restoration of the big lebowski he says i'm mortimer young and here's this presentation of the grand lebowski as it has been
0: restored hello i'm mortimer young of forever young film preservation
2: Oh, is he supposed I mean, to be, like, the Turner Classic Movies guy who just yeah. passed away? Yeah. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Um, I was trying to do Mr. Rogers, but that's close <laughs> enough. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, oh, what was that guy's name? The guy who just passed away? You know what I'm talking about, the Turner Classic Movies guy.
1: Yeah, I do know what you're talking about. Oh, shoot. What, what was his name? Eh, who cares? I'll drop it in once I learn
2: it.
0: The late Robert Osborne was the host of Turner Classic Movies. I looked it up
2: by looking it up. Who cares? Who cares? <laughs> Rest in peace, that guy. Oh. I mean, that guy was awesome. Like, I watched a lot of Turner Classic movies when I was like in high school and uh, it was like the best, it was the best thing that was on cable TV. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, that guy was really good at what he did.
1: Uh. Okay, well, so there we have it. Section two of three on Candide or Optimism.
2: We still haven't figured Join out which us. one it is.
1: Yeah, we haven't figured out which one it is, or have we? <laughs> uh, so join us next week as we wrap up uh, this particular book. I'm
2: Katie. I'm Sky.
3: And I'm Lauren.
2: Thanks for listening.
0: Inter 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 library loan. Please rate us high 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 on iTunes. Find us online at illbook.club. On Twitter we are at cast Thank you to our generous, smart, beautiful, also Patreon donors. We couldn't do it without you. Okay okay okay, back to robot sleep until next week.